0: And we are live with our 159th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson, at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law. At Seth Law on Twitter, Seth, say hi.
1: As always, hello. Uh, Welcome back to another episode. We're excited to have everyone that's involved, especially Neil. Uh, It's been a little while since we've had Neil on the show Uh, But we're going to get into some CSP and some other things with Neil. That's his, well, that's been a a topic of conversation for him for a while. Um, We'll probably do quick introductions again, Neil, as well, just as we get into it. Um, So people know, yeah, where you're coming from if they haven't seen previous episodes. Um, Outside of that, I did want to plug KernelCon one last time, um, or... One more time, I guess I should say, KernelCon is happening the end of March. Ken and I will be teaching our secure code review course at KernelCon. So if you are interested, looking for an opportunity to improve your secure code review skills, consider us, but also consider the conference. KernelCon is a great one. Um, Small community conference, and Omaha is a great place to go. Um, other, other than that, Ken, are there any other announcements that you wanted to bring up before we jump into some of these news articles and introduce Neil?
0: No, not really, actually nothing, uh, that I can really think of. So, yeah, I mean, I can kind of discuss. So, cause like, I think a lot of, a lot of people have, you know, seen either seen Neil on this podcast or familiar with Neil, but for those that, uh, don't know Neil, um, and and also like not maybe as familiar with all of our relationships so um neil is more on the has been traditionally more on like and you can correct me and step in and any time neil but uh neil's been more on like the the engineering side of security uh typically so like for instance one thing he was really well known for ca- came on the podcast to discuss uh was implementing csp at um github uh, github has a very robust uh, csp or I was about to say CSP policy, but I'll just say con which is a whole other thing. But anyways, content security policy, pretty, pretty robust. Uh so it's very knowledgeable there. But also, like, you know, had organized uh back in the early days of AppSec Cali, had organized that conference, organized the Loco Moco sec conferences, and uh that will I'm sure we'll get into it, but that's that's not gone. That that's still around, just just uh uh just it, as absent never Cali is but that belongs to it never a different existed group now. i don't
1: believe in it yeah
0: yeah i don't know if seth had ever heard of that co- com- yeah, conference exactly. yeah we've been giving i've been giving seth crap for years about not having gone to loco moco sec <laughs> yes. and uh you know so if he misses this one you'll never live it down seth so no, no pressure. <laughs> that is true yeah no pressure um <laughs> Um, But yeah, so Neil uh, has a background there. uh, Neil's worked at Twitter, um, also uh, alongside Justin Collins. And if you at all live in the Ruby on Rails security landscape, you definitely have used Brakeman before. Um, and, you know, Justin and, and Neil uh, worked on Brakeman and Brakeman Pro. Uh, Neil did a lot of design for that. Neil basically has an extensive history in, you know, designing security into um, engineering products. And uh, so we're really excited to have him on. Also, Neil's pretty much the reason that I ended up at GitHub because, you know, when I was looking at where I was, what I was going to do next in life, I reached out to Neil and Neil, um, you know, reassured me it'd be okay for somebody uh, who, you know, wanted to, go into GitHub, that it was a good place and, uh, you know, great place to land and uh, help me with that as well. So uh, long history with Neil. Um, we've all been friends for a long time and uh, just really happy to have you back on, Neil. Uh, that's my introduction for Neil. So hopefully it's complete. Yeah, very, very kind. kind.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did we miss anything, Neil?
2: Um, that I'm currently unemployed. <laughs> uh, I left GitHub last year. Um, and yeah, Ken, uh, GitHub was very lucky to have you. You know, I've, I've saw, oh, yes. you know, a lot of your career there and you did great things. And, um, especially as you transitioned into that manager role, um, chaotic time, I think you did a great job. Thank uh, you. And then that. just a quick correction. I didn't implement CSP at GitHub. It was like 90% done when I got there, but, um, I did do some work on it, um, uh, I did a fair amount of work on it.
0: Humble man complete. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so there oh, was a dot awesome. get ignore, and that was it. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they did the hard part, the the JavaScript thing. You know, the, arguably that's the only important part that you should focus on. Um, so, I just put a little window dressing
0: on what was already there. Sweet. But but actually, it's been nice I, because. We, we, every time someone tried to implement some widget or you know, that would bypass the CSP or expose the system in some way, we had a way to detect that. And that was really, that has continued to be instrumental in,
2: yeah, in securing GitHub. Good old regular expressions, keeping marketing out of code. (laughs) (laughs) Specifically, we had a tool that would scan code whenever you would push a PR. And if it had a couple method signatures, which was not static analysis, literally a regular expression. Um, it would just automatically like CC our teams give it a second set of eyes um, because CSP was very much self-service at GitHub. Um, I haven't touched the policy for years, but hundreds of developers have. Um, and it was a really good system. Um, it might have, I think it might've gone a little bit overboard because there are probably thousands of unique content security policies that GitHub.com could serve when, again, like script source is kind of the only thing that matters at this point. Um, but I don't know. It was a good system. You, I liked it. I don't know if I'd repeat it. Don't yeah, know no, if you'd
1: repeat it. Okay. So now I'm I am mean, interested, that's, right? Like, yeah, that's yeah, good, right. I mean, yeah, because <laughs> I mean we always refer back. I, Ken and I, when we're talking like XSS and other things, right? Like the the system that's in place there actually you know has a lot of advantages to it. So I'm wondering why is it like what what spurs you to say you wouldn't do that again?
2: So. It, in in the beginning, it was not so common, but it'd just be like this one page needs to make an XHR request to this one service or this one third party. And so we'd only have that allowance for that one page. Um, and it was really easy to do that. But in this world, I think, you know, again, I think only script source is the only thing that matters these days because CSP is not about preventing exfiltration. CSP is about preventing script execution. So do I really care that we have that concise policy on that one page? Um, If it's our own host, maybe we can just hoist that up into the global policy. So as I was leaving, um, we were seeing so many, like, you know, three or four of these a week. And Mm -hmm. that would get, you know, someone would have to review it. Someone would have to, you know, thumbs up. Um, We eventually moved to a system that just said, like, unless you're modifying script source, don't even bother. Sorry, we're using regular expressions. We can't tell. Um, Because we, we kind of changed that attitude. And then, again, I was encouraging people to hoist things up into the general policy so it wouldn't have to be dynamic. And one that was... much burden on developers for what i now deem little value Um, obviously Mm -hmm. lots of noise as well for something that's not very valuable um oh no i had a really i had the the biggest point it's going to come back to me um yeah we'll just keep going down this path because it's it's pretty
0: interesting because like
2: oh go ahead sorry super before i forget it again because this is super specific to the rails world um there's a technology called pjax and pjax is kind of like a way to only render the part of the page that changes. And it's kind of clunky because you're still sending back like entire ch- like, chunks of HTML. Like there's no smarts in the front end that's doing this. But if the new chunk that's loaded needs to have a different CSP allowance, like like I go to the homepage and I click on this thing and that thing needs a new CSP exception, I now have to reload the entire page because the CSP cannot change when the page's, page is loaded. So you could have a couple interactions where you're navigating around PJAX. It's nice and snappy. Everything loads. There's no full page load. And then, boom, some arbitrary CSP change forces you to do a full page reload, which can be pretty heavy in certain situations. So um, right before I left, our coworker, Zhang Ying, she put together some um, telemetry on this to see, like, OK, how often is our dynamic policy forcing a full page reload when we could benefit from PJAX instead? And it was something like 80%. Like It was really bad. Ooh, like There are other yeah. reasons why a page can load. For example, you need a new JavaScript file. You need a new CSS file. We have uh, something that's integrated into our asset pipeline to basically detect like, what is given on a certain page and what needs to be on the next page. And if they don't match, we do a full page reload. Yeah, it was like 80% CSP, like 10% JavaScript, and then 10% JavaScript and CSS. So CSP arguably made GitHub a lot slower than it could have been.
0: And speed is a huge factor right now. I mean, that's, it's been a focus for what, since, since before Nat left, um, just to, to make things really, really speedy. This is a big focus. So that's interesting. I actually didn't even know that that was, um, first of all, obviously I didn't know that if if I didn't know it was an issue, I definitely didn't know that the telemetry had been introduced to, to find that, but that's pretty crazy. 80%. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty hefty, man. That's, uh, it's rough maybe it was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> however you did prevent not only uh not only has this policy prevented cross site scripting but also it's prevented surf, idor like just accidentally you know yeah that's um, true so yeah i mean well and uh, uh, yeah maybe we should explain that just i think we've explained it before on the podcast but for anybody who hadn't heard it um our the the path portion of a request uh is tied to the, um, uh, what is it? The, Oh, wait, 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 I'm sorry. I'm thinking I'm, I'm, you know what? I mixed those up. Uh, I think you I'm mixing the things up. C-Surf I'm thinking of this perform C-surf token. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's later in the day. I apologize. Uh, no, I was thinking <laughs> of perform C-surf tokens. Never mind. Which lots well, of people they, will they, say is pointless and
2: not useful. And then there's the other people who are right about how useful they are. what are the arguments against it um if i have xss on your page it doesn't matter that you have perform c tokens i can just submit the forms just fine um you know which is a pretty good argument but i have seen it literally stop a few attacks just accidentally and so you can't say it's worthless and when you get it for free why are you arguing against it
0: yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah no um I mean, yeah, yeah. It's it. I can't, I'm trying to think of like, are there any other arguments against it or is that the only one just?
2: Um, yeah, I think there's like some fear that this complexity is going to break somewhere, but I haven't seen it happen.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it happen in the wild. Some people just anybody. think it's like,
2: you know, um, originally there was like per page C-Serve tokens because of, was it crime or beast or? one of those things where you could sort of exfiltrate yeah. parts of the page. So you needed to have a new we basically XOR um the, the actual CSERF token with a nonce every page load um to fix that attack. And so I think a lot of people are like, well that's going to break things and it didn't. Um, and then yeah, they, yeah the per- perform CSERF tokens was the same thing. It was like we can make this enhancement. It's actually the path and the verb, like the two things together. Uh, so uh-huh. post and gets are different. Um, and then yeah changes per request as well. And so it's it's kind of like a why not. Um, yes, if your framework doesn't have it for free, it would have to be added to it, but you can just copy what Rails did just, yeah. just copy yeah mm-hmm. it. yeah just read that beautiful language known as ruby and just accept <laughs> its beauty into your eyes you will absorb <laughs> the magic and you feel the religious <laughs> experience <that> you <laughs> <perform these situations laughs> in your own tongue
1: in your own tongue i don't know we've been looking at some php that's been really really <laughs> painful so i don't know if i can go back right i like to learn no <laughs> I did I did watch your
2: I did catch some of that. I thought it was uh, pretty interesting too. I mean definitely like uh, you know, it was entertaining content and uh it was good to like I
0: don't know. There's no way I would have ever seen it otherwise, basically. <laughs> yeah. To 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 follow I mean and to follow up with that, we um we actually did end up speaking with the um with the creator of laravel.io, which is the community page. They're also the one of the core contributors to the Laravel framework, which is like, uh, Ruby on, you know, Ruby on rails want to be basically for, for PHP or very similar. Anyways, um, they submitted patches for both, uh, vulnerabilities. So they, they, they fixed both vulnerabilities. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we had some exchange go back and forth just because originally we, it took a month to report, uh, one of the the findings, just totally fluke accident, life events, all this stuff. Anyways, we went back and forth. Uh, we're good with them. Um, and anyways, they've got everything patched. And uh, I think what we're going to do going forward um, or not, I think what we've chosen to do going forward is we're going to pick we're going to pick out like uh, whatever we're going to test. We're going to make sure that there's two things, one that we can contact the maintainers and let them know about the stream ahead of time and they can be ready for whatever we might identify, because we didn't expect to identify vulnerabilities that actually just happened. Um, we were we were just obviously just trying to show the process and then we came across vulnerabilities. The second bit was um, just having a, a, yeah, a way to report ahead of time, like looking at their security.md or whatever secure, security.txt, whatever they have available to get that um, security kind of funnel. So by informing the maintainers, having the security contact info ahead of time, we think we can you know try and really make it easy on people, even though it's you know I mean' it's still going to be looking at code and potentially finding vulnerabilities live so. Yeah. It all ended well though. So that's, that's, I guess, the the, the summary of that.
1: Yeah. It was a, uh, yeah, I I don't know. There, there's always lessons learned, right? Like from a process perspective, from a secure code review perspective, like every time that we look at something, um, but the framework does work, right? That's the whole reason that we do it. Um, cool. Well, let's see. I mean, we're kind of meandering the way, across all these on, different on things. The Ruby, I don't want to yeah. get
0: off this Ruby topic for a second because I've been getting crap for my entire career for having programmed and worked on securing Rails and Ruby stuff. And like, I know, like, I, I know there's lots of different thoughts, but I still, I still go back to Ruby. I still can't get away from it I do spend a fair amount of time in Python these days too but it's just I still love Ruby and I get why people are frustrated at times about it I know that in the past it has been really hard to get projects going and especially if you're not like super familiar with the ecosystem a lot of stuff that you run into error wise just getting started can be very frustrating but um, I don't know like what are your thoughts there on 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 the future of Ruby and how people interact with it um, well, I definitely know the
2: frustrating experiences you're talking about. I think Nokogiri is a, a classic. I just, you told me to just run this command, and then I got this, like, 40-line esoteric error I can't understand. But tell me a framework in language that doesn't have that problem at some level. Um, <laughs> yeah. So TypeScript, TypeScript. No, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was just playing around with, um, I was going to play with React Native. And the steps to set it up are freaking ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's just everywhere you go, I think. Every programming language sucks. Um, but my, my guess for the future of Ruby is it probably will hang around for a long time, but the job opportunities seem to be less over time. Um, I don't know that that's true, but in my, my very anecdotal experience looking for new jobs, um, the JavaScripts are pretty popular these days. Um, you know, <laughs> even...
1: scripts, yes, they are. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm mean, even talking with like um, some former coworkers at that were like, you know, Rails for life people, but now that they're like prototyping things for other people, they want they want things in JavaScripts because it's easier to hire for that. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it'll always <laughs> be around, but uh, the opportunities are dwindling, and and maybe it turns into the next PHP or something like. It's always there, but it seems to get less and so less market share, except for like a few major players you know, Mm -hmm. which is very similar to Ruby.
0: Right. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. yeah.
1: I I mean, I mean, from a, I would, I would agree with you there, Neil, right? Like from a like security tooling perspective, Ruby was pretty hot, especially as Metasploit was up and coming. Right. It seemed like there was a lot of people doing things with it. Then they kind of migrated back or to Python. And now I'm seeing a lot of stuff come out and go, um, you know yeah. javascript doesn't have much love in the security community right like there's not a lot there that people are like hey let's go program javascript or typescript or whatever but i see a lot coming up in in go recently um i don't I, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing right like on your side like what what you've been dealing with personally or professionally
2: well i was 7 years under one employer got me a pretty narrow view of the outside world um yeah I am, I am talking to some people, and I think and this is a model that was at GitHub too. Is you have a Rails front end and a Go like API back end. Um, you know, Rails isn't the fastest language, but it's pretty darn usable. Um, yep. Go seems to be, you know, where the heavy lifting t- tends to happen. And I guess if you're working with Kubernetes, it's it has to be Go. Um, so it's yeah, I see lots of Go too. Um, and I, I, I really like that architecture, you know, like speaking to the, the good parts of rails, obviously it's known for rapid prototyping, moving really quick, you know, lots of implicit magic here and there, um, which is also one of the things people hate about it, but, um, yeah, as long as you can keep the magic in your head and you can speak it fluently, then it's, it's quite convenient and nice. Um, and, you know, speaking to the security of it, you know, find me a more secure framework, um, by default. Everything is by default. Like you don't get CSRF protection in a Express app by default, or something. If I remember correctly. No. and yes, that should be a single page app sort of situation, maybe. But come on, um,
0: <laughs> you know. No, the, no. The, the, I mean, you have to use uh, CSRF
2: protection. The escape by default. The the safe APIs that you have to opt out of. Um, you know, that's that's just the the way we do things in Rails. And to to do any different seems like you're just making your life more difficult. And maybe at one point your application gets too big for rails and you need to think about it again but yeah I think github and shopify are kind of proving that you don't need to true
1: well yeah. and i i mean i know we've had this discussion of the one true framework right like over the past you know few years as as far as what's what's most secure out of the box and I, like i'd have a hard time arguing with that um right even dealing with you know things like django flask especially on the you know javascript side of things trying to get even something as simple as header set right the proper you know csp right like a configuration there pushed out and actually working is so difficult in a lot of these frameworks whereas yeah i mean rails by default is you know is probably the most secure out of the box i don't know though. like I, I know there would there would be some people that would argue that right um but I don't know if there's anything that's as popular that would have those same sorts of features.
2: Well, let's not like exclude Rails as past either. Um, yeah, I think actually one of the, the one of the few one of the earliest communications I had with Ken, which by the way, after we had all worked together at uh, Fishnet. Yeah, um, but I connected with Ken a little bit later with the Rails-pocalypse of 2013, I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> where I remember like that. every week there was a new RCE because someone wanted to load YAML inside of JSON for their API and have it auto-serialized in an unsight <laughs> manner because that's what you want to do with your f- web framework, of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's yeah. had its problems, and, you know, it's, it's, it has good SQL injection protection, but there have been lots of SQL injection problems as well. Um, Justin Collins has that RailsSQLi.org page that, Pretty well outlines them, and you know, Breakman will help you do things a lot more safely too, which is another huge benefit of using Rails. Is that it has Breakman, or mm-hmm. Breakman has Rails, whatever. Um, just so many. Ways I always to, try just to explain that hard Rails.
0: That the more opinionated and specific a framework is laid out and follows a you know specific flow, the easier it is always to to do that analysis. And I think like Rails proves that. In fact, Laravel, the, what we were looking at, because it's so similar in that, like, pretty opinionated, very Rails esque uh, nature, like, I, I, I'm certain it would be, again, it would be an easy tool to write. I don't want to say easy to, to make it sound trivial, but it would be easier to do, you know, high confidence static analysis with something like that than, yeah, like, like Express, to your point, is very piecemeal, right? It's like, it's kind of like Pyramid or uh, Sinatra. You know, it's just very like. Here's the middleware, then you have to bolt everything else on top of it, and it doesn't usually end well. uh From every assessment I've ever done on a Node.js slash Express application, what are the like good frameworks? Does, does, does anybody else know? Like, because I've heard of like I think Restify maybe is that a thing? Restify ex- node.
2: for Node for Node. For JavaScript, yeah. Next is something I've seen come up a few times.
0: (laughs) Next, somebody had, yeah, I'm not sure what the big big, uh, new Node.js, because most of what I see is express, and that's because of, like you said, I work at one place, so I have worked there for over four years. I only see one type of Node application uh, coming across, so. I feel like it's kind of of a weird feeling, though, right? Like, I think, you
2: know, earlier in my career, I definitely did a lot more job hopping. So it wasn't like I got so narrow. And um, I did a little bit of consulting that got me some variety, you know, throughout the week. But, yeah, it's coming out into this new world. I feel like,
0: you know, what are all the cool kids doing these days? Like (laughs) It, it's still horrible. Everything's still horrible. Don't worry, Neil. It's all terrible <laughs> and horrible. It, it, it and hasn't changed. Insecure. Yeah. We just, we just
1: keep bolting things on top, right? Like that's
2: <laughs> Well, I guess in one sense, things have changed in the last like seven to 10 years or whatever that, you know, it's been, it's been 10 years since I did like a pure engineering role that wasn't related to security in any way. And I got a lot of opportunity to engineer as a security person, but it was still like maybe 50% of that time overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, like security hasn't really changed that much. Like we're still using Burp. Burp's still it's wonderful aesthetic. Um, you know, <laughs> we're we're doing the Kubernetes now these days, and and the clouds these days, and you know that stuff. It's not really interesting to me because it's a little too far away from, you know, writing a code writing code that someone will see. Um, so that's kind of like why I'm ninety five percent certain I'm moving back into an engineering role that's not into security. Because I look at like the advancements in development in the last 10 years. And I feel like there has been significant advancements. Um, you know, frameworks are a lot better. <laughs> Managing dependencies is actually like something you can do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like you, you have you have GitHub Actions. It gives you free CI. That's pretty darn awesome. You have, you know, all sorts of ways. You, you have a package registry. You can have your own custom package. You can actually manage things instead of just like installing things from people's laptops um things like hermetic builds like are on the horizon um and sort of these things all really excite me you have things like code spaces making development so much easier instead of saying it works on my machine um you have copilot that saves you so much boilerplate like even though rails is very terse it's still so nice to write rails with copilot cuz it's like it knows what i want to do
0: um i and- will say over the weekend i not to just d- dis- you know, distract from the topic, but I did work with Copilot this weekend because I was writing some Python code for fun. And, uh, man, it would, it was amazing. Like actually it was a great experience. It kept it, it knew really like, and I'm not saying this because we, you know, I, I work for GitHub still, you know, yeah, uh, I'm not saying that because of that. I actually, was like, well, let me try it out. And I was really surprised at how much easier it made my life. Like just simple things. Also just like some of the, the rest, the error, uh, Error catching boilerplate stuff like, um, just uh, if else statements, just everything was just really easy to use. Um, yeah, anyways, I had a really good experience this weekend with it. So, I tried it before and it wasn't very good. So, (laughs) so, (laughs) well, we got access to version one, and version one, yeah, rough.
1: Well, and that's like, I actually haven't, like, I I just started pulling it up, right? Because we've got some stuff that we're trying to do Python wise, and and, you know, it, it could be an interesting. I I'll, I'll get back with you on that, right? Like as far as you know, you know, how it we how it can help. And especially on like the 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 JavaScript side, you know, when we're doing front end development, right? That's not a an area that I consider any sort of like expertise on my side, right? Like, you know, trying to figure out how React is doing something and then banging my head against the wall is a pretty pretty common occurrence for me, right? So I think I'll, it's I'll be interested. Help out. Yeah, yeah, it help? could very well. It's just one of those, you know. I, I, I hadn't thought about it right since i this is the first time it's come up honestly for me in you know six months or so and the- my my initial stabs at it or my initial impressions of it were not great right like that was but i I think that's probably been streamlined or you know they different versions have come out since
2: then, so we'll see right so i i so that really tools. hit the nail on the head right there, um because you know a lot of think people thought when you when you say Copilot, it's like, oh, it's just going to write your code for it. It's going to take our jobs. Like, no,
1: mm-hmm.
2: no. But what it will do is, let's say you're trying to learn something like Sorbet, you know, which is a, a typing system for Ruby, and you've got this weird kind of syntax that you don't understand, and then uh, you start typing, and then it suggests something, and it's 80% correct, and you're like, oh, I just need to change that string to an integer or something. And I now I know how to use Sorbet. And it took me like an hour before I, like, I was like, okay, I can now write this without Copilot if I needed to. But well, why would I,
1: yeah well yeah, I mean if it if it's anything just like you know the predictive text that that pops up in Visual studio or anything else nowadays right um, or that did previously makes my job faster, I'm all for it, right like being able to streamline yeah streamline development is huge right um, I you know I I, I still wonder how Copilot does with some of the security snippets and other things like that. It'll be interesting don't worry about to that see. Stuff anymore. <laughs> no, oh, we don't. That's why we have CSP, right? Right. That takes care of everything. Neil? Is that right? That's why um, I should, right. You know,
2: I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is, I don't know. I don't want, I don't want to possibly venture into something that's not public, but uh, Ken and I were involved in Copilot from practically day one. And I'm pretty happy with where we ended up with it. Um, both in the the design and privacy preserving ways, but as well as the abuse detection and things like that. Now we don't have access to open AI servers, so but they 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 did. There are some assurances there. <laughs> good, good. Um, and good. as another point that you that reminded me of, um, again, Copilot isn't to tell you how to write code, but it saves you so many keystrokes um, with with all that boilerplate. That even again in Rails, <laughs> it's just
0: like. Out there in one second, which I, I think that was your point originally, is that because like being a developer now, being an engineer now has just so many more tools to make your life more happy, more productive, um, easier to get up to speed. Like you said, on something you may not be super up to speed with, um, more, uh, more visibility, more visibility on and security implemented into. Uh, package distribution ecosystems. To your point, you can write code, you push code, deploy code, create libraries and deploy those all from like really one place. There's tons of libraries that you can include into your application to do whatever thing, security or not, you want to do. But I am curious, you know, what sort of uh, was the impetus for you to say, hey, I want to take a step back from, building, you know, engineering security into products. And I want to just focus on, you know, engineering. Um, what kind of triggered that for you? Um, so I, deep down at heart, I consider myself an
2: engineer who has done security and rather than the other way around as a security person who can do engineering. Like I started off as an engineer originally um, and I've gone back and forth between security multiple times. It's just really, I, I, Deep down inside, I think I want to be engineering, but the security work has been so, you know, attractive for, for a bunch of reasons. Obviously, you know, the money is nice. The The being a part of a niche skill sort of thing that's hopefully becoming more and more common um, was fun. Uh, I definitely enjoyed, you know, meeting people like you in the community. There's a strong Twitter presence, which I am quite obnoxious on Twitter, and I, I'm glad that uh, I can talk to people still. Um, so it's just, you know, and and GitHub, you know, when I, when I started there, the responsibilities were kind of too broad for my taste. And then we split off into like an AppSec team and AppSec became BroadSec. I think that was kind of like my favorite time working at GitHub because I was writing code for the application 100% of the time for like three straight years. And, um, you know, I got the opportunity to do that. And I really, really, really enjoyed that time, you know, through that time, we pretty much eliminated all automated account takeovers that were just happening at a rate. That was just so so scary for us, Um, but then the work kind of like evolved into like the architecture of use, and there was a little bit less engineering going on. And then over time, you know, the authentication team split off and took off took over all that work that I really enjoyed doing. Um, And then I sort of, you know, realizing I think I was burnt out like a year ago. but then the opportunity to move into management came up, and while I, had, you know, passed on that in the in the in other opportunities, I was like, "Well, maybe this is what's going to make me excited about working at GitHub again," which probably isn't the most wise thing looking back. It's um, so like I having I mean, a baby to to keep a relationship going, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's a direct relation between those two events. Yes, um, the mentality is not um, not very wise
0: for sure. But, 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 but uh, not, I mean, to be fair, I thought, uh, frankly, just knowing, you know, your natural ability uh, uh, to understand people, your, your natural empathy, you know, honestly, I thought you'd be great in that role. Not, it wasn't a question of, you know, like, yeah, and you were, you're you're great. You're not, you're, it's more, it, it's this thing of being good at something doesn't mean you want to do it. And, and that, that is underappreciated at times. But it's important because if you're not happy doing if it's not what you want to do long term, it's it's, you know, ever going to work out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I did enjoy lots of it, you know, Um, hired two people. And by the time I left, one of them was ready to lead projects. I promoted two people. Um, You know, I really, really helped some people sort of gain some comfortableness. Like, you know, in this, you know, frankly, it was a little bit tumultuous with all the change that was going on in the last year or so and and the pandemic you know like that's kind of a problem too yeah um so it was it was definitely like a bit a bit bit stressful in that regard but I think what happened towards the very end is it was like okay I was going to switch back to an engineering role and we were hiring my replacement um and then it was kind of like well do I even want to go back to that engineering role which can be doing a lot of architecture reviews I said well I wasn't so sure and I kind of flip-flopped back and forth and then Kind of like came to the realization it was like this is just it's just time to go like it, i need to start something new and then like a week later somebody hit my inbox with a, you know an opportunity and i'm like "Ah, oh, what the heck i'll take a look at it they gave me their coding challenge and i was just like oh my god i haven't written code in so long and this feels so good uh i think i need to do this some more and my last like flip-flops between security and engineering like i don't know the, the engineering role only lasts like a year or so, and then I'm back into security. So who knows? Maybe I'll just be back in another year. But um, for, the, for the time being and hopefully for the long term, like I, I'm going to step away from the security space. Maybe an engineering role in a security product, but definitely not a security role. And I'm definitely not going to become the de facto, like, you know, hey, you're the security guy of the company. Like, No, you can hire a security guy or security person, I'm sorry. And I will help you hire that person, but that's not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I will build no, them securely. I will present my ideas in a way that I believe are secured because I have had experience, but don't don't ask me to review some some project. Don't ask me to respond to a bug bounty don't call me because somebody tweeted about an XSS in our product.
0: <laughs> I think there is this tendency to say, like, you okay, so now you've done this thing. And so now that's your career trajectory. When in reality we're all like, very, we have different parts of our lives where we're living different ways, you know, I mean, from your sleep schedule being changed to your interests being different to how much capacity you have for work, you know, all these things change, they evolve, like you said, technology changes, and that can shift your interest too. And it's sort of weird to think that there's like this one static trajectory you can go and in reality, like that's, you know, you we're human beings to have multi faceted skill sets. We're not just like this one thing we can do. So I like the idea of trying out different things and not being so rigid about, you know, this is the one track I have to go on. I also think when you do go into a role um, and you've moved around a bit and you've done a little bit of engineering, you've done a little bit of security focused engineering, you've done some management, you bring to the table much more in, in all of those experiences than somebody who kind of was just maybe on one track. Um, so anyways, I I don't think it's a negative thing. I think it's, uh, I think it's something we should be more accepting of and people should do more of like, I have definitely gone myself back and forth on all sides of that as well. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm of course going to be a proponent of that since I've lived that. (laughs) So, Yeah. I,
1: I, I mean, honestly, like Neil, I, I remember you coming into fishnet, right back in the day and, and having a discussion with you as you're like, no, this isn't for me. Right. Like I want to go do like security engineering or like engineer, more engineering efforts. And it was the first time that I'd really started to think about exactly what you're, what you're saying here, the switch between, Hey, it's okay for me to go choose a different path. If what I'm currently doing doesn't fit. Right. Um, and, you know, Ken and I have both experienced this and like, you know, running, helping run a small consultancy and having to split off because it just didn't work anymore. And you become like, and and that doesn't mean that a year before it didn't work. It just means at that time, okay, it's time to reassess. Maybe you're just burnt out on it. Maybe it doesn't bring you the same joy that it did. And that's okay, right? Um, we, We do have a tendency to to classify people into certain niches, right? Because we've seen them only in that space and not realize that they're a complete person just like each of us is as well. Um, so, you know, trying to give people that empathy and that ability to grow is always difficult. And I think that from a management perspective is very difficult or from a business perspective is very difficult to to accommodate people in that way, right? Um, to allow people to move between roles or between groups. Um, you know, I, I mean, in your case, it, you know, it sounds like you've decided to just move on completely. Um, but like, is, I mean, is that mainly because you just wanted to see something new, right? It's time for you personally to see something new um, or is it just a, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of interested on, on what spurred that discussion outside of your stepping away from the
2: management role. Well, it's complicated, of course. Um
1: I'm sure it is. Right. Like, I mean, that's why it's interesting. Right.
2: I think, um, you know, specific to me, um, I'm very fortunate to have the ability to do this Mm and not just because I can write code, but you know, that I could take time off to think about what I wanted to do next. And to like really make sure that I wanted to make this switch is a luxury that lots of people do not have. Um, so, and then at the same time, you know, it's, it's a little scary going back. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I probably have to fight some imposter syndrome at the beginning when you know I sit here saying I can do Rails in my sleep, and then I get to a problem I can't solve, and I'm you know not be prideful and obviously reach out for help. But you know, it's 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 a little scary to switch into a new realm, and I think that can prevent a lot of people from from making the leap. And you know, staying with what's comfortable, especially in security, tends to pay well. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that people don't don't go this direction very often. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: comfortability yeah, but, can be its own trap. You
1: know? Yeah, that that's okay. They'll just tag you as security champion wherever you end up, and you know. <laughs> well, I, I will
2: say that. Um, I, I know I've they definitely will. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, I've tweeted about this a couple of times, actually. Um, like the people who know me, the people who have worked directly with me in the past, the people who maybe have seen some of the work I've done, or or maybe worked with me on something. They're all like, yeah, I don't care. Like, you can be an engineer here. That's totally fine. We will never ask you a security question. And then people who don't know me are like, who's this guy? Is he really? Can he really code? I think we're going to do a live coding exercise. I don't trust this person. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, uh, don't want to, like, try to do this, like, with humility. But, like, look at my resume. Like, if you don't think I can write your stupid little code challenge and I'm going to like <laughs> someone else do it. Like what is wrong with like, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> so one company did say they wanted to do live coding challenge. They didn't say it was like out of untrustworthy or anything, but I told them I'm not like, it's gotta be a take home exercise. I've got to be able to do this on my own time without someone breathing down my, sh- you know, over my shoulder and hopefully you can accommodate. So we'll see what they say.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I've, I've never liked those live interview, uh, probably the worst one I ever had was an uh, Uber. They flew me out to uh, California and I was exhausted and I didn't honestly want to even be there. I was just entertaining the interview for a friend at the time, which was another lesson learned, not don't do that. Um, and it was a round Robin and people had like, had situ- like one person got into an accident that, that day. So they were switching out other people. So by the time I actually got in there and the, the schedule had all been jumbled around and all the people, I was just, it was so jarring. And then it was like, Here's a laptop that is not at all like doesn't have your setup on it. Go ahead and just code in this little like little terminal in front of me. And also I'm just gonna stand sit right next to you. And I'm just like and then it was oh, like but you can like, ask me questions. Code. We
2: can collaborate on this, but I'm never With gonna the, give yeah. you the answer you want or be yeah, actually yeah. helpful. <laughs> right.
0: And, exactly. you, and you and you don't have like, access oh, to Google. So bad. Yeah. yeah. It was so bad. It it was terrible. It's not a way I would ever interview people. I really like the idea of a take home that is then analyzed later. I just think, because if you, I mean, who is getting hired and they're like, um, oh, actually, I don't know how to program. So I'm just going to go dark and you're not going to see any results, even though I did really stellar on my interview. Like, why, like, what, when does that happen? Yeah. And then the experience and references and a resume. Yeah. All that stuff. It doesn't make any (laughs) sense, but all right.
2: That's funny because yeah, the uh, the company that is, I think, being the most difficult with me, I was referred by someone who works there. And I know I know two of the people that work there. But uh, I don't know. It's tough, tough
0: Weird. nut breaking through this recruiter.
2: Yeah.
0: They're <laughs> <I'm> just uh <laughs> just, they're just not sure about you, Neil. <laughs> just yeah. not sure about you.
2: <laughs> I, I I went through this um actually before I took the management role. I was considering being a first security hire at a medium-sized startup like i, I you know the first security hiring thing is kind of like a joke but i do think it was about the right time it wasn't too late a little bit late but not too late yeah they had me code um in a web browser and <laughs> that was ridiculous and you know one of the feedback was like there were no tests and i was like I didn't know I could add multiple files to this web browser thing. Like that's why I was writing it in the style I was writing it in. So I could verify that this, this chunk of code worked. I didn't know you wanted a gem out of it. Um, <laughs> and so they came back and said, Oh, okay, well, we'll give you a second chance. You could do a take home interview. And at that point I was just.
0: You're like, no, look, I just interviewed you. And from your program <laughs> management, you did not define the specs or the exit criteria. So I'm not interested in this job because you failed my test. So that's, and my pair that's...
2: programming partner was not very helpful. If anything, yeah. uh, made it worse.
0: <laughs> yeah. Interviewing just, is hard man, though. It's, it's, uh, it's terrible. the least perfect
2: science. And unfortunately it, there is a lot of like who, you know, sort of going on, which is not fair like in any way, but I mean, maybe I'm too old for this shit, but I'm I'm just going to go with like probably the easiest interview process that just, <laughs> <of the> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do feel like there is room for at a certain point, if you've been doing this long enough and your work's public and, you know, your experience, you got reference. It's like, why do we have software contributions,
2: things like that?
0: Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's like it's out there. You know what? Yeah, I I honestly, I think I would have a hard time going through a rigorous interview process right now, too. Like I'm almost I'll be turning 40, not too far off in the, the near future. And I'm just like, am I at this point in my life where I'm like ever going to if I you know, was to leave my current roles, go and do some some interview process that's really I I could tell you if someone sat next to me is like, OK, program in front of me, be like, all right, never mind. I've I don't need this job. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want it. So and that's not to be like, I'm so awesome. That's like, I'm just too old for this shit. Like, it's just I don't want to. It. Anyways, it's I got know some people so, who anyways. won't do any coding
2: <laughs> exercises at this point because they're just like, look at my resume. Like, that should be enough. Um, right. And then again, like these coding challenges are not hard. Like, I think if they were a lot harder, I would feel like better about doing them and it, cause it w- maybe would be a better demonstration, but not live.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not live. No. Uh, yeah. when you have but, a specific set of requirements and they, they give you like adequate time and then that's something that's, that's interesting. But yeah, sorry Seth, I interrupted uh, what were you were no, saying. No, yeah,
1: you're, yeah, like I'm. I'm just trying to think about it from a like a recruiter or a company perspective on what's going through their heads, right? Uh, as far as like how do we evaluate someone, and uh, I don't know. It, it seems like large organizations that have a large recruiting effort, right, start to stumble onto. Oh, well, you know we heard that Microsoft did like these coding challenges, x, y, and Z, so you should be able to do them and if you don't, then you can't get our senior title right like it It seems to be this like little barrier to entry that they can drop in there as opposed to well, this was referred by another senior that we currently got on our team that we really like, so maybe maybe we need to think about this a little bit right like i i like i've I've had scenarios just like you were saying when I was starting out in my career. Sat down, you know. I'm going for a security position, and you know they're asking me to code something, and like it. it I, and I'm like, okay, that's great, but this is not the job that I'm going for. So why, what, like, what what is it that you're trying to get out of this? But even asking them the question didn't didn't go with it. Um, code comprehension. So Brian Gray brought this up in the comments. It's a demonstration of code comprehension of existing examples realistic during an interview spotting errors etc yeah, um pretty- yeah i mean i i think that would be easier right like a you know a kind of a code review recognizing <laughs> what what issues what's actually going on i i still
0: i could talk I about it we do it yeah
1: yeah i mean is that yeah, something you that you do is code snippets
0: yeah. So the, there's two parts to the way we do it for our uh, our apps. Uh, well, I mean, you, they're technically called the assessment team. You, you probably call them AppSec team somewhere else. So because the job is like testing, right? That's what it is. um looking for secure, security bones. There's two separate tests. One is a screening exercise that is just code snippets. And you have to determine out of that, like what's vulnerable, if anything, and then write that up. And that's, and by the way, it's all asynchronous. You have time to look at it. It's on, you know, it's, and it's not a huge code snippet either. The second follow up is a actual vulnerable web application. uh we give you specific time requirements we give you uh to your to Neil's point, you know you'll have like a code space to set up so that it can just as soon as you launch it the application can just run and you've got the code there to review as well so that's nice and then um but in there you know we've got uh we've got some vulnerabilities, some are. You know stuff that could be found by tooling specifically because you know we do expect you're probably going to run some tooling, and then there's some stuff that's a little bit more nuanced and not easy to find with tooling and um that's also purposeful, but the point is is once you start that sort of assessment, you have three to four hours to complete it is what we ask of you that's just what we just ask you to cap it at that because we don't want people to spend crazy amounts of time, but also if you were were to spend a crazy amount of time, you'd kind of skew the bell curve there. The other thing too is. Once you kick it off, you have 48 hours to actually like complete it. So you've got two full days to go through it. Uh, if you need an extension, obviously we can always do that, but that's the default. So it gives you time. We don't watch you do it. You just submit a pull request when you're done that has your fixes, your uh, your markdown file descri- describing the issues and things like that. Hmm. I mean, uh, I would argue uh,
2: that's much more important showing that you yeah. can GitHub and you can communicate changes and you can obviously find them. Um, but I don't know that the, the rest of it was super important.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's you know, just it. like, like, it's, it's hard it's to get things
0: fix. fixed if you.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. I, there's, by the way, I, I should explain on my end, there's a little delay. So I don't know when y'all are talking sometimes. So my apologies for all the interrupting. That's we'll
1: just, why. <laughs> yeah. So Neil and I, we, we'll, we'll just be quiet and let Ken go and go. Okay. But... Sorry. <laughs> No, no, you're fine. Um, no, I was going to, you know, to your point, to both your points, right? Like, um, I was going to say that the, you know, the fit often, like in my experience, um, the the technical ability is somebody there's, there's kind of that bar of, all right, do you recognize the concepts? Do you have like the background that we need? And, you know, if we're interviewing you, you should probably already have that background. That should be you know, what, we're, what we looked at in the resume, we should have gone to your GitHub account, right, and looked to see what you're involved with before we actually, you know, decided to bring you on board. But from there, it becomes more about fit to me, right, than, hey, can you solve this problem within two hours or even four hours, right, is, uh, you know, is, are you someone that I want to work with? Um, becomes a lot more important in my mind than hey, what are these like random gates that we've just put out there?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. Um, you know, it has been seven years since I've you know really interviewed, um, and yeah, there, there's definitely a much bigger focus in my experience about just like getting to know the person. Um, really, not not so much yeah. like, like the beer test. I think is is some some way that people phrase it, but it's like you know, tell me about you know. The things that might not be considered good about you. Like, where, where do you land on this spectrum of like, you know, one example I gave was like, where does this company land on order to chaos? Cause I'm a little bit more on the order side. And the guy was just like, thank you. I'm, I'm also a little bit more on the order side. I don't believe in bureaucracy, but I believe in, you know, lots of things. And if people don't take their project boards, it kind of you know bothers me a little bit. So I might do it for them. Um, but uh, you know, the beer test, but also the culture test and making sure that, you know, like we'll work the same way. Like some companies, they want you like on zoom all day and, and available in chat, like all day. And I'm like, no, it's not going to work for me. Um, yeah. I'm going to have long blocks of time where I can just sort of disconnect. I'm always available via Slack, but I really need to have like a distraction free zone to like work. And like some companies are like, well, I don't know, you used to be play video games or something you know <laughs> ignoring the fact that i still produced all the work that they asked and then other yeah. people are like you're an adult work the hours you want to work you yep. know get done what you say you want to get done it's really that easy yeah yeah i yeah. I, I
1: mean i like I, hey yeah, i go back and forth right because you know right now in a, in a consulting role i see like these just like huge differences between organizations, right? You know, working with one organization and there's, you know, the security team and they're like, hey, schedule a meeting with me. So I pull up their calendar and there's literally no break in their day for the next week and a half. And I'm like, how do you guys get anything done? Right? Like, I, I don't Like, this is why you're constantly behind on everything. They don't. I Exactly. <laughs> well, and that's what he told me. He's like, I don't, right? And I'm like, so why are you working there, right? Like this is this is obviously a cultural problem. It's not a, you know, it's not a you problem if if your calendar is this full and you're expected to do this and not actually produce anything, even in a management role, I like I would argue you're, you know, it it's a waste, right? Uh, but then on the flip side, you've seen those completely chaotic organizations where they don't even know who their manager is, right? And it, it's interesting to deal with companies on both sides of that, right? Coming in as a third party, because I definitely have, you know, the favorites that I like to work with. And when they're more structured, it makes it goes a little bit easier. But then sometimes the bureaucracy is a huge pain to work with because they'll only accept X, Y, and Z, and it has to be formatted specifically. And da 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 da. da and it, you know, there, there's there's a happy medium there. I think for each of us, right? We like we have a tendency to to swing one way or another, depending on what our own needs are. Right. But yeah, I like, I, I don't, I don't understand people staying in an environment where they obviously aren't, they aren't happy. Right. Going back to what, where we were, what we were talking about before.
0: One um, thing maybe that I want to hear, that, uh, you know, pays yeah. for all their needs.
1: Yeah. The paycheck. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: I know. No, no, no. I just know. And again, I, I cannot stress enough. I am getting the weirdest, like, Delay, so I don't know. Always when you all when y'all are talking, until seconds after. Anyways, uh, Neil, I am curious though because you've mentioned multiple times. You know, you you're a fan of the startup sort of culture uh, and, and business model. What of the, what um, what aspects of you know the start the startup culture, the startup sort of business model uh, are most appealing to you, and what are the things that are not as appealing to you, if any?
2: Uh, so the appealing things are, uh, Mountain Dew and foosball tables. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) now I, I, that's another thing I I think I could mention too, is like the startup scene seems to have changed dramatically too. Um, you know, I've worked at like a startup that had like eight engineers and, you know, it was a moderate, like work hard, play hard sort of deal. Like we were pretty strict about like not working after hours, but you know, Things had to be done on weekends from time to time, Uh, but we were five engineers crammed into a single office, and I I brought my own laptop, and um, it was like a personal. Yeah, yeah, because they want to save the company some money, Um, and that was a great experience, and I really enjoyed working there, and I really enjoyed the people I was working with, and actually some of the people I'm talking to right now, Um, but that was probably a rarity for something back then, because I think the majority of the startups were like, all right, everyone's going to move to this house. Um, Nobody's going to shower. We're not going to, we're not going to have any respectable sleep schedules and you're expected to work, you know, as hard as we need you to, you know, kind of like the Silicon Valley, like stereotype gone wrong. Um, You know, now it's like everyone I'm talking to, it's like, yeah, you have a family and, and they should be first and you have things you enjoy and you should put those above work. And that's just so awesome. I don't think you're going to get that yeah. at major companies. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to get that out of Google, for example. Um, so the ability to kind of just like trust people to be adults is something I really like about startups. Um, the, the sort of like being able to move very quickly and have large impact with small amounts of effort is very attractive. You know, at GitHub, doing new things takes a lot of work, and it should because of GitHub's stage. Um, But at the startup stage, you're a little more move fast and break things, I guess, approach. I don't really like that phrase, but, um, you know, it's one of our first interactions
0: was deploying to production, but to you showing me how to deploy to production, but just so we could update some docs. (laughs) So literally pushing the GitHub.com site just to update some docs. For no other reason than they were just living that repo. Anyways. And yeah, I believe so during yeah, that wow. time
2: also, you could only re- deploy one pull request at a time. So yes. um, <laughs> nowadays you have the ability to batch them up and there would be a queue. So, and the deploy process back then took like a half an hour. So yeah, Ken was ate up the deploy queue for a half an hour to make a change <laughs> to non-public facing docs.
0: <laughs> the yeah, docs eventually got moved box. outside of that repo. <laughs> eventually. But, well, yeah, you can move fast and break things, like you said. <laughs> so Yeah, and,
2: you know, everyone knows everyone's name. Um, everyone knows everyone's kids' names or dogs' names or things like that. And, it's, you know, it's a lot more personal. Um, I think GitHub was always, you know, since we're a remote-first company, it, it put a lot of emphasis into, like, the experience of, like, the individual and making sure, like, you know, that we recognize, like, what makes them happy and we're not, like, you know, you need to be 9 to 5 in the seat, Um You know, not that you can't get that at other companies as well, but I just see like the the smaller company, the startups that, you know, when you're interviewing with them, they tell you about the company culture like that. It's just becoming like the norm from what I see. And that's just so awesome because I didn't think I didn't think a company like GitHub could exist until I worked there. And now it's like now I have faith that I can get that experience somewhere else Uh, because I definitely did feel at one point like I can't get this anywhere else so I can never leave this company.
0: I mean I do think that they've they've proven that you can you can treat people well you can make things uh yeah like you said you can make things really great for the individual for the for the teams that they work on but also have a great bottom line you know you can you can be you can make money you can still be a great business and and accomplish you know not not working people to death and like it's it's really hard to strike that. I mean, it really is hard hard to strike that balance. I don't know. Like one thing I've thought about, I, I'd be curious about your opinion, is that I think one of the reasons that worked is because a lot of the people that I that I've come across, uh, or you know, especially originally in the early days, they were very experienced already. They had already worked at other places, seen what went wrong. Um, like honestly, when I was talking to somebody recently, I was like, when I went to Indoc class, I was like, yeah, well, I was a CTO, so I mean, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I was like, ah, you know, I feel like I'm pretty confident going to this Indoc class, and and this is when Indoc classes were in person, and I get in there and everybody's like you know, had been like a CEO or a CTO or had been like the top lawyer at their firm or was like a partner at their firm or whatever. They were all really good at their jobs and very experienced. And all of them brought that into the environment to make it better. And I think like if, because contrast that against like the life at living social, where it was like, you know, not that I'm trying to be ageist, but it is, it does factor into experience when everybody there is like 22 years old. Right. I mean, like that's going to play a part in how the comp, and it did play a part in how the company's trajectory, you know, ends up landing. Um, So anyways, like, I'm curious, do you, what are the factors you think uh, make, good people? I mean, besides like experience, like what are, what are the the factors that make like a a company full of good folks?
2: Um, Well, speaking to the the age thing, um, the reason you saw that at GitHub is because I think by the time you were hired, we were still only hiring senior people. Um, There wasn't a single junior person at the company until probably like three, four years ago. Um, So yeah, you, you, you had, maturity there. And, you know, GitHub's from day one, always part of the interview process was like the culture thing, you know, like, like, at GitHub, we support a lot of lifestyles, and we do not like discriminate at all. And if you have any problem against any class of person, don't work here. And if you ever like exhibit any sort of thing towards any class of person, you won't work here. Um, They were very clear about that. And I think like, like, I'm phrasing it in a tone that sounds a little more dramatic. It's not, so that's not how the interview is, but that was the point of it is like, we don't want any shitheads here. And like, we don't tolerate that. And some got through, of course, and some got fired. And GitHub also had a little bit of a problem in its history with, um, with, uh, with. I can't even remember well, saying, I don't mean I what you're it talking much about. Much. It yeah. was like an incident where, you know, um, yeah. it was very public and it did not make GitHub look very good. So no, no culture process is perfect. Um, and and right. bad things are going to happen, but at least we put up like some sort of bar there. A- at least after that incident, I know for sure it was very, very like this is what we're about. And it's not like we assume that people are going to be you know not racist. We actually like tell them like you cannot be racist here. <laughs> um, yeah. and or sexist that... or anything else. Exactly. Is... Yeah. You know, like GitHub supports transgender rights more than any company I've ever seen in the past. Um, but now I think that's becoming normal and. If you have a problem yeah. with that, that's your problem, not ours.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, To your point, I think that that is like uh, in terms of supporting marginalized people, like definitely, um, you know, the I mean, it, I wouldn't say it's even just startups in general. I feel like it's a trend that's a positive trend that's been set. Um more broadly than even just like startups, which is where I would expect it to originate as a startup style environment. But I definitely, I think it's, you know, in a good way. It's it's gone and spread uh, elsewhere to like enterprises and big businesses as well. So thumbs well, up there. Think, like, but so know,
2: we have lots of articles coming out that just say happy employers are more effective. Happy employees tend to stick around. You know. If you have empathy towards your employees they will have more respect for you um if you you know it's it's crazy no one ever thought of this before but uh you know the previous generation you know like my 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 dad's generation was like employees are interchangeable you're lucky to have this job you know screw you um and that's just terrible in every way (laughs) yeah
0: and I have to tell you, you know, we're definitely dealing with the great the, the great resignation as they're calling it right now. We're definitely dealing with that. And I say we not as a um so there, you know, I, th- I think you were man, I think you were a part of the appsec councils meetings, but anyways, went to one of the AppSec council meetings, which you know is like all the, the big tech uh security security folks from all the big tech, you know, a lot of us they've probably been on this podcast, right? Um so you know we're having the council meeting, and everybody's dealing with the same thing and then we're not even just from like security we're talking about from all departments in every business and it's it's a huge attrition is a big issue for literally everyone right now. I think maybe who knows I could ponder all day we did we tried to ponder on why you know we figure maybe the pandemic's giving people more time to reflect um and you know just slowing things down and looking at like hey is this what what's best for me and things like that, but in any case, we're all dealing with it, so I think like to your point um it's even more competitive something that was already competitive has become incredibly competitive so if you are not doing your best to make people happy good luck hiring really
2: yeah good yeah, luck hiring and without you. a 401k match good luck hiring without like an yeah. hsa and a ppo like good luck hiring without unlimited time off but like actual unlimited time off and not yeah. the like we're going to guilt you for taking time off um cuz if you don't have those things like i'm not even going to
0: I'm not even going to look at you. Um, yeah. I think it's important with PT, unlimited PTO, to your point. This is what I've learned over the last year, to do quarterly, if not monthly monitoring of it, to enforce minimums. <laughs> and I mean that. And like, for instance, uh, you know, this Friday I'm taking the day off, not because I have to, but because in having conversations with people, they're like, well, if you're a manager, you need to, you need to set the example. So if mm-hmm. you if you like my son's got the, the, the day off Friday, so I'm going to take that day off. And so I think between mandatory minimums, maybe monthly or quarterly tracking and then like, uh, you know, maybe setting an example as well. If you're if you're a manager, um, you know, that, that that that's the way to really to, to truly work unlimited PTO the correct amount of a correct way. And as you know, our 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 baseline minimum is uh, 25 business days. Uh, that's what we shoot for is a minimum. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know I, if I that think... that's super common yet,
2: but um, no. yeah, the unlimited PTO definitely is. But yeah, to your point, um, same thing. I almost every single one on one I would have, I'd be telling people to take time off, take time off, take time off. Um, and I think I really came to appreciate time off a few years ago at GitHub when, yeah, I think pa- Patrick Toomey became my manager and he was a very big proponent on taking time off, would always encourage it. Um, and then just sort of one year I, I wasn't taking a lot of time off, You know, I'd maybe taking like a week or two off and it was getting towards the end of the year. And it was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to come here for like the rest of the year. And he's like, mm-hmm. go for it. And it ended up being like 35 days off. And, um, and then I even like tweeted about it and, you know, he, he favored it or retweeted it or replied like good job or something. Like he 100% believes in the minimum vacation policy and that people should take Again, it's a minimum vacation policy. Take more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you don't yeah. um mm-hmm. you know, if you don't have the ability to give to give that vacation to people and you can't survive without them, I'd argue you're not setting yourself up, self up well. You're not you don't have redundancy in place and you probably are just short staffed and you need to hire more people, you know, which yeah. is I know hard right now, which is the point, <laughs> but yeah. <you> know. <laughs> so going back to the original question though, so I would say one of the things I gleaned from what you said is setting up a business early with mature, uh, with maturity. So people that have, uh, both operational experience and maturity, but also like the maturity to, yeah, not allow any ists into the, the organization set, reasonable expectations have, you know, policies like 401k matching unlimited PTO, things like that. Anything else you want to, you know, kind of cover there that you think might be helpful um, I, I've seen a few companies
2: straight up publish their, I guess you'd call them like their core values. Um, and I think that's been really helpful. Um, not that like the absence of that is a bad thing, but if I see that on your like hiring page and you're, you list all those things and you, you, you really emphasize that it's a healthy culture, that it's, it's great work-life balance. And like, you really like hammer onto those points. Like, I actually believe you when you say that. And that's a good yeah. sign. So again, it, it, the lack of it's not going to stop me from talking to you. But if I'm like, interested in you and I see that, I'm probably going to apply. Because at this point, like culture is the most important thing to me. Not the technology, not the, not the product, not the pay. Like, I just want to work in a place of happy people who <laughs> like being where they are and enjoy the things they do. And want to be there for another
0: five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Like Institutional I, I, knowledge being around year after year. Yeah. Sorry, Seth. Once again, no, no. <laughs> I didn't see it until after I started. Sorry. I'm going to shut up. You go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, I I, like, I, 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 I find it interesting, right. Like coming from a, you know, at, at this point, like a small consultancy, right. Thinking about the structure of, you know, employment and, you know, keeping people happy and, you know, making sure that those, that the resources that are available, like that, you know, the people that trust basically in me at this point, right. Are taken care of. right? And, you know, we've all been in situations where that doesn't actually happen. And, you know, it's, it's not that it's difficult to set that stuff up, but I do like, you know, there it, it is something that every like couple of months as somebody that's trying to run a small company like that, it's something that I have to go back to, right. Like it's a, a you know, yeah, like I need, I need my employees to go take a break. Right. For sure. And I'm more focused on that. But then at times I'll find that means that I'm not, and then I'm getting burned out. And it's like that flip side of, oh crap. Right. Like if I don't do those same things, even for myself, like the self-care idea, uh, then like the whole company suffers or people suffer Outside of me and not just you know my family and me and myself in what I'm doing on a daily basis, so I like you know I, I I'm trying to balance that and figure out okay how do I actually provide that environment but still make sure that I'm not up stressed every night right like from a finance or a cash flow perspective and everything else that goes into that it's it, it's yeah I I don't know it's just an interesting thought exercise for me personally, right. To try and figure out what it is that, what those values actually look like and how do you communicate those and how do I, how do I put that down on, guess what? I care more about you and your, you know, your family than I do. Hey, you know, I can make a buck this hour if I make you work. Right. That's, you know, and that's, it's at times it's hard to communicate. Right. But, um, but it is valuable, I guess is where I'm going with that. So.
2: Yeah, man, (laughs) lots of respect to, um, to dealing with that. I mean, it's, it's not something I think I could handle very well. So uh, yeah. I mean, ah, that, yeah. Lots of respect. There's
1: times, yeah. Like, you know, I don't know, trying to like keeping the, the pipeline going as they say in the, in the, the consulting space, right? Like that's always a, a major concern and what's coming down and like, okay, we have salaries. How much of a, you know, cash flow or how much of a pad do we need to make sure that we're going to be okay. Right. Like, and, I, You know, I definitely uh, err on the side of probably too much, you know, on the padding side. Um, I know there's, you know, there's other ways that you can make money and, you know, you can stream people, but then also taking care of customer. I, yeah, anyway, right. Like it's, I'm getting into like the nuances of, you know, trying to run a small business and, you know, it's,
2: well, we at, can at discuss least, that at some other point. Yeah. At least you get Q4 to relax.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Q1. <laughs> 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 no you get q1 to stress <laughs> over your, your
0: <laughs> q2 and q3 pipeline yeah
1: you get you get q4 you get all maxed out you hit you know january 1st you're like ah oh, this is great and then two weeks later you're like oh shit what oh, does my crap. what does my pipeline look like and when where's money coming from and, <laughs> uh, and then i bring in other people and i'm like okay help us out right like yeah anyway so it works difficult. Yeah, it's it's difficult wherever you go. That's basically all I'm trying to say. It's difficult You know what on the go. flip
0: side, on the other side of that, what's really annoying is when you want to have a good vendor like like a smaller business like yourself, and the procurement process makes that so difficult. And you know, like, let it, like this is more for enterprises, but I, I've recently had to deal with that and it's just like it's so annoying when you have to make somebody who is a small business go through ridiculous steps to just do an assessment. It's like, can I just pay them some of my money and do this on the side? Can you just like <laughs> discreetly let me just like, I don't know, just give them the source code and don't get mad at me or sue me or whatever? Like, yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. So Seth, you, I don't it. know if you've seen this, but
2: uh, do you hire people out of state or just mostly in state? Um, every, so
1: all my hires have been in state, right? Like, so in the, in the state that I work in, so I don't have to
2: worry as much about, but I do have an accountant, because I, yeah, yeah. Because uh, one one thing I'm experiencing, and this is not definitely not a broadly known concept, is you know when you hire someone in a different state, there's some steps you have to take. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously things like state income taxes and and some business registration are de- generally um, required. Doing that in Hawaii is probably one of the most difficult things, if not the most difficult thing. Like getting your first employee in Hawaii is something that makes HR people. Like grind their teeth because the process of doing it is just so terrible. Um, so before I was looking for the job, and I would get recruiters reaching out to me. The first question is, "Do you, are you do you hire remotely, and can you hire in Hawaii?" And you know, three years You're ago, the answer yes, people was,
1: out. "Oh, yeah." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that the pandemic
2: has happened, hiring people out of state is more or less normal these days. And um, some places will say we can only hire in these states. Some places won't post the states they can hire in. Um, so it's, it's been a little, I wouldn't say like challenging that it's, it's actually hasn't stopped any conversation yet. Um, but there were a few conversations. It was like, yeah, make sure you can hire in Hawaii before we go
0: through all this.
1: That's interesting. I can tell you that
0: we dealt with Seth and I, when we were small business consulting, where we had people distributed all over the states we had to file since we had a pass through we had to file state taxes like all over the US basically yes, yeah. <laughs> like just every state like it was just it was i think there not not even an exaggeration there's like 11 states or something we were like submitting taxes to it's just such yep. a nightmare when you do pass through and you have a remotely distributed company i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend a pass through if you're doing a widely distributed uh, company is was my my takeaway there Yep. For anybody yep. who's listening that wants to do a small business. <laughs> welcome to the small yeah, business
2: podcast. <laughs> yeah, we're very specific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolute well, This, this tech right podcast now. started off uh, with a little bit of CSP and then moved right into engineering, <laughs> hiring, interviewing, business practices.
0: Hey.
1: Well, welcome to Absolute AppSec. So, CSP.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to the original CSP point. Yeah. <laughs> oh no.
1: man we do we do want to be cognizant of your time though neil right like we've been going for a good hour 15 at this point I, and I know it feels like we're just chatting which we are right but um yeah uh ken do you have any sort of a hard stop or you want to go for a little bit longer
0: um i i got a few more minutes although i do have some people i gotta respond to at work but uh i can do, yeah i'm not in any massive rush so yeah we good. um anything reman- remaining that uh Well, I guess two things. One, Seth, do you have any remaining questions? And Neil, um, you know, any points that you wanted to discuss, or anything else you wanted to kind of cover while you were on today?
2: Um, Well, I I definitely don't want to take up more of your time if if you guys are busy, but uh, I do have plenty of time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I guess I I I could circle back to kind of what we did talk about CSP, and I I can definitely get through this fairly quickly too.
1: Well, I did want to bring that up because we had that one article we discussed last week, which was the theoretical, like, hey, we're going to defeat CSP, right? Um, And where did I? Oh, yes, please. And I'll be right back, guys. I'll be right back. Yep, you're fine. I'll post it in the comments here. Um, You know, Hacker Noon, I'm harvesting credit card numbers and passwords from your site and just a. Yeah, a a description of, you know, the theoretical process that they'd go through to actually put something in NPM that allows for scanning. But one of the points that they had in there, I'm looking at the wrong article now, was that they could defeat CSP, right? Um, I'm pulling it up. I'm trying to browse my way down to it. But if you yeah, if you want to jump into it, uh, like the CSP stuff you wanted to talk about or was it related to
2: this? Directly related to it. Um,
1: okay. Yeah.
2: So I, I, I did mention it earlier on. I said that CSP is about stopping script execution and not about preventing exfiltration. Okay. And that's a lot of what this thing is saying. Um, I can't remember the, the order of things, but it's like, oh, if, if you forget to set a form action, I'm just going to create a form because by default, form action does not get a value, does not inherit from default source. Um, and it's like, okay, even if you have a form action, I can just exfiltrate it through XHR or this, or that, or that. And what they don't say at the very end is, even if you set all of your directives, there's nothing stopping me from just doing a JavaScript redirect to exfiltrate the data. Um, so CSP cannot prevent exfiltration of data. It can make it harder and limit it a little bit. But it is a fool's errand to actually think that you're going to prevent exfiltration, again, just by the existence of the ability to perform a redirect on a page. Um, obviously, that requires script execution. But I think that's what's assumed in this case. Um, and there was a proposal to add a redirect to source directive, but that never went anywhere. Um, and I think, I don't know, I'm just guessing that I think now that it's becoming more common knowledge that CSP is not about preventing exfiltration, that we just don't need to worry about it anymore. And we shouldn't spend our time doing it. Should focus on other things. Um, and that's also kind of why I'm saying like script source is the only directive that actually matters. It's little bit flippant there, but like it's technically true. If you look at like Google Photos, for example, um, they have the most modern CSP on the internet that I know of. They're using multiple headers. They're, each header is kind of enforcing a, a different version of CSP in a like beautifully backwards compatible way. Um, using strict dynamic and nonces. Um, seriously, it's it's the best policy on the internet. It's way better than GitHub. GitHub's is a <laughs> GitHub is a great <laughs> CSP 3.0 policy. Google Photos is a great CSP 3. Um, and I guess to talk about that a little bit more too is um, one of the problems with CSP 1, which is what GitHub uses, um, our script source is just a CDN. And that's great because it doesn't include eval, doesn't include inline scripts, doesn't include like, you know, some third party random site. Um, And that works for us because we have incredibly strict control over that domain. We use sub-resource integrity to make sure files don't get swapped out. We make sure that old assets are deleted as soon as the new assets go in. Um, And that works for us and that gives us a good enough policy. But in the world of you don't run your own CDN, you want to include somebody else's JavaScript, you're really opening yourself up to someone pulling down an old version of jQuery and exploiting that. or you know your assets get swapped underneath you, you have no control over it, you're in a real bad spot. And so strict dynamic was kind of built to fix that problem because again, like what GitHub has is as secure as it gets in that sense, but that is not something that's easy, uh, easily repeated elsewhere. And strict dynamic is kind of like the zero to CSP and sort of 30 minutes opportunity where it's like, okay, we're loading scripts from all over the internet. We can't re-architect the application overnight but if we add a nonce to the ones we know are supposed to be there and then let them load resources if need be, then we can at least know that we're not downloading the internet. Um, so it's, it's a really cool technology and um, you know, it's, it's, their focus has been on stopping script execution and not exfiltration.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and I think that's uh, to your point, right? That's the, that, that's, that's the breakdown that we have with CSP is what the purpose behind it is. Right. Um, and I am posting a link to just the strict dynamic on V3. If people want to read more on that, because it is, it, there, there's a lot of good info in there and I'm sure we, we can't, or we won't get into all of the the specifics here today. Um, but yeah, my, I, I've read way too many like security reports for CSP that don't, that, that, Consider exactly what you're saying, right? Like they just, hey, you should implement CSP, not realizing what it is that they're actually asking, um, and what the prevention, what the what the mechanisms actually do within CSP, as opposed to, hey, it's just something that I know I've got in my checklist and I just dropped in there, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, you I could probably say good. that on most homebreders. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Uh,
2: I guess I. I, this would be a good time to pitch my TikTok account, where I am evaluating other people's right. content security policies. <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't, I haven't actually done a video where I'm evaluating policies yet because I wanted to have some like educational content to it, so I'm not just like speaking through to the seven people who understand it. Um, and I got to tell you, content creation is way harder than I thought it would be. Um, <laughs> like actually, just making these TikToks has been like, I I feel like. I don't know how to use this thing. How do the kids do this? This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It just takes me like times longer to do something that people can probably do a lot more quickly. So it's been a little bit of a hurdle there. Um, But I I, I did create a one educational video. I do intend to start evaluating policies because to to your point, Seth, like I think a scanner is mostly like, do you have a policy? And there are so many policies on the internet that are just well, first of all, Google proved that 90% of them are mostly ineffective. Um, yeah. But just like looking at them, it's like you, you've included everything in this policy. Like it serves no purpose whatsoever. All you're doing is adding like another 500K to like every request. Um, and so that, that was kind of, I was going to poke fun at some of those. I was going to like, um, you know, just kind of like just make fun of people for make fun of people's policies for no good reason at all. And just for just for fun. Sweet. So, so what's your TikTok account then as, the, as the kids uh, say. <laughs> do, do script, script source none. Script source none. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that name. Cause it uh, could have been a lot worse, but I like that one. And then Jim Manico actually commented that, uh, you know, script source none. If, if you understand CSP, it's a little bit of a joke because it just means like no JavaScript at all. Um, which you can't really do on the internet these days, um, but Jim Manico's uh, consulting site has script source none because it's purely brochure. Uh, uh-huh. but just kind of, it's kind of like a tongue in cheek. Like it, it just isn't realistic, but it is the most secure. Sweet. Well, I posted it up there for the
1: for if you know for any of the kids that happen to be watching <laughs> our podcast today. I've also been
2: asked to post it to my Twitter account because see, some people yes. don't have accounts and some people don't want to be on the tiktok
0: okay i'm not on tiktok i get sent <laughs> tiktoks and i'm like what is this delete you know and it's not be- it's just because it- i don't want to he doesn't have to, a you know, it's it's just kind of like a- i'm okay being old at you know <laughs> it's a little That's bit of a longer I'm- story there
2: in that like when i was younger um and aol instant messenger was like the hot thing like people were talking to each other all the time i was like they have a phone can they just like call people if they want to talk to them i didn't (laughs) quite understand it and then i go to college and all of a sudden like everyone's busy you can't just like call people up randomly and everybody's on al instant messenger talking to each other so i was like oh man I I i don't need this new technology and i fell way behind so i think from that day on i was like okay twitter i'm on that thing i'm talking to myself nobody's on this thing and all of a sudden, like all of security is on Twitter. And it's like weird if you don't have a Twitter account. So I don't know if that's what's going to happen to TikTok. But if it does.
0: I, I've got you beat, man. Back right when Bitcoin had. And I mean, the instant it came out. Rob Fuller, you know, Mubix. He yeah. he was like, he was adamant. He was like, Ken, buy Bitcoin. It, it I'm telling you. And I was like, ah, oh, screw your Monopoly money. This is so stupid. Like. What are you talking about, man? This is nonsense. Okay, I'm gonna put money into this Bitcoin. Great, and uh, I would have been a millionaire, I'd been, a, been a, <laughs> a, a, a big legit multimillionaire if I just put like a thousand dollars into it back then. You know, so don't feel too bad. You didn't, you didn't miss out the same way I did. So,
2: well, I, I, it's it's always fun when you can quantify decisions like that, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's like, oh, that only cost me like, you know, a whole different type of uh, trajectory, but whatever. No biggie. Well, I remember GitHub did a,
2: a stock buyback plan when they, before they got acquired. And, you know, they, they sold it for X dollars a share. Um, it was worth a little bit more once Microsoft acquired. So I participated <laughs> yeah. in that buyback and I was like, oh, I just threw away X amount of dollars. And I can quantify that. That yeah. hurts. <laughs> but, you know, hindsight 2020, I couldn't see it coming. I actually did yeah. need the money, so it was helpful.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, that's, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, it, you it's can life. never, that's the, that's the point of, yeah, that's life. You can never predict. Yeah. So, But yeah. I still, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I, gr- I look back all the time and I'm like, oh, such a I, bad mistake. I can't <laughs> yeah. even
2: touch my Bitcoin because it's illegal in Hawaii. <laughs> Are you serious? I did not know that.
0: Oh, wow. That's crazy. So I have Bitcoin, huh. but
2: I can't do anything with it. It's just sitting there.
0: Speaking of Hawaii, before I forget, because this was a a question somebody had, and this was a question I had, and Seth had. Well, maybe not Seth, because Seth doesn't know about it. (laughs) But anyways, LocoMocoSec, a conference that occurs in Hawaii uh, for security-minded folks (laughs) and engineers. (laughs) 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 For those who can't see, uh, because you're listening, Seth is flipping me off. Anyways, uh, moving forward. So yeah, uh, LocoMocoSec, what, if any, are the plans there?
2: So I'm. I took kind of a. I stepped back last year and and kind of um, have been a little more on the sidelines. So I don't want to um, make any like announcements. I want to let the person who's running it like you know do this a little more planned. But I will confirm that, like unless something happens, we are going to have an event this year, um, and uh, we hope to bring the the same magic back. And we hope that obviously that the pandemic is in an acceptable state um, that hopefully things get better. We wouldn't put on a conference if we didn't think it would be safe for everyone or if it's not allowed.
0: Um, Yeah. (laughs) No Voltron or Pokemon variants or whatever.
2: Yeah. You know, like, you know, there's some pent up like travel energy, I think from some people I know I've had a few people come out and visit and they're just like, yeah, Hawaii is the first place I wanted to go. Um, And then, you know, things got worse and then people started canceling trips um so we hope there's some pent-up energy to to come out to hawaii and you know we we don't want people it was never about coming out to hawaii and, and snipping my ties all day but like actually putting together a good conference too um so we're still we're still sticking to kind of like our one track uh, philosophy of just having everyone in the same room having the same conversation um bigger emphasis on being family friendly we were always family friendly um the second year we we even provided free daycare and activities for the kids Um, we're only going to keep growing that program bigger and bigger. Um, our diversity inclusion program has, you know, from year year one brought many people to the conference and we hope that just continues to grow. And, um, you know, we just, we just hope to see all of our friends that we haven't seen in a couple of years and no way in hell we're doing another virtual conference.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Man, I got to tell you, I had such a great time with the family there. You guys did such, I even thought it was very thoughtful how you guys had different colors on people's badges. Like, you know, yes, approach me. No, I'll approach you. Stuff like that. You know, like you said, you guys did daycare. You, you folks did, sorry, you folks did uh, daycare. Uh, I mean, the one track I think is the best. Okay. So for what it's worth, I love the one track because like you said, everybody's concentrated in that moment on that speaker and that one topic. And then all the conversation that happens afterwards, whether it's online or during online or, you know, in person, it's, it's all, it's all, it's not, it's not what track did you go to? It's, this is the, you know, what conversation you're going to have. It was just, it was awesome. Like I really, I have to say, Sec was the last conference I went to that was my favorite and I cannot wait to go back. So man, I'm very excited for you all to host that again. And again, Seth. I'm excited to come. Yeah, blah, and,
1: blah uh, blah blah. Blah 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 blah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It it it, it 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 it's on my radar. I might forget about it. You might have to remind remind me again, but uh, we'll watch for it. Hawaii is
0: so. an island, a set of islands, by the way. <laughs> I just want to make sure you're. Wait,
1: what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was in New York, right? That's good. <laughs> uh, Anyway, well, cool. I yeah, I I do need to to jump off. Um, but Neil, we appreciate the time, we appreciate the explanations and the opinions and you know, spending an you know, hour and a half with you, it's been enjoyable. So thanks for coming on. Um, let us know how things move for you going forward, right? Like uh, you know, where you end up and yeah, best of luck and in the process, because that's always difficult.
2: Thank you. And you'll probably hear about it on Twitter.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Or TikTok.
0: TikTok. Yeah. Cool. Did we give Neil's Twitter account? I think it's just MDM, right? Okay. Yeah. Yep.
1: Okay. I I dropped it in there. So November, Uh, December,
0: whatever M stands for, Boxy, (laughs) whatever. NDM. It's
2: It's my initials. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Sweet. All right. Well,
1: thanks everybody for joining today. Um, We'll catch up uh, next week.
2: See it.